Step right up, ladies and gentlemen and genders of all ranges, and welcome to the Art Pit! Conducted by the Jeremys, a pair of purveyors of fine art and oddities via the best damn dark gallery this side of Long Beach, the Dark Art Emporium. Listen in wonder as we jibber-jabber about all things art, music, movies, and whatever other jive we decide to mosh together. Faint of heart, beware, and welcome to the Art Pit. You're here. Thanks for being here. How's everybody doing? <laughs> yeah, round, Are you ready, kids? Round two. <laughs> round two. Yeah, episode two. Uh, you know, and uh, we're not going to have an artist uh, per se on today. Not 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 the traditional artists like we usually have on our walls, but one that we've often had in the gallery. So I guess that counts for something. Um, Today we're going to be welcoming Laura, who is an embalmer and mortician. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what she does and, and the artistry of her trade and how it, is, uh, how it has evolved and changed uh, since the days of uh, the COVID-19 crisis. Um, but, you know, we're going to dig into some of the nitty and gritty as well, some of the, the grody and toady and, and, and find out exactly what she, she does in the, in the depths and the bowels of a cemetery's mortuary. Um, Laura, how are you? I'm okay. Yeah? I'm holding up. Not dead yet. Well, that's a good start. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a step above a lot right now, unfortunately. So that's 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 good to hear. Shot, how you doing? I'm okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm hanging in there. Above ground. God damn it. Laura, so, Laura so hasn't morbid. Laura hasn't gotten to me yet. You know, <laughs> she'd make you look better. Uh, I'm sure. <laughs> like, it's not really a yeah. yeah All the wrinkles easy. on my forehead would be gone after right, Laura right, 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 sculpted right. my face. You can pop them out. <laughs> yeah. Do some feature builder injections. Oh, see, see, that's where we're headed. <laughs> All right, Laura. So you were an embalmer and mortician. So. Okay, getting into all of the jargon, whatnot. Um, so I am a licensed funeral director in the state of California. I'm also an embalmer. So people tend to use the term mortician as just an umbrella term uh, that encompasses anybody that really works in dealing with the preparation of the dead. What do you call it, funerary arts? Uh, I, restorative art is typically the term right. that's used. Uh, I, 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 because like, I like the sound of funerary arts, though. It sounds yeah, nice. I, I mean, that <laughs> old-timey. Um, so specifically, I'm an embalmer. Um, that's my focus. So while I can meet with families and direct funerals, uh, I choose to stay away from the living, and I stay in the basement of the mortuary with all of the decedents. Yeah, less people to argue with. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't imagine. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we, we are recording right now in in the Dark Art Emporium, um, and this is your first time in here. It's in, it in is in the new space. I, it's the first time since you moved. Yeah, because uh, she's definitely spent plenty of time with us uh, at the previous location. Actually, both of the previous locations. Um, some of you who have been to any of our openings may remember Laura. She's often the one slinging beers and wine. I am the strange woman in the back with an urn for a tip jar 
saying that if you fear change, leave it there. Um, most people like it. I mean, yeah. most of the crowd that shows up to these art shows likes it. I like the matchbooks that you have out for uh, the giveaway. What, what, what's the thing? What was on the matchbooks? Um, the prior mortuary I used to work for, I convinced my boss to make matchbooks that on the back say, uh, we don't mind if you smoke. <laughs> and then on the front, it said the mortuary's name and everything. Um, I still have quite a few of those. Yeah, you so. should bring some. We should just have a little bowl of those here. Yeah. <laughs> just... It's you know it's our it's our humor for sure. Yeah, you know, definitely. It aligns. Yeah, I mean, uh, Laura's been with the gallery since we opened. She lived above the first two locations. Yeah, we lived well, essentially lived in the same building. Yeah. I remember I moved into that building about two months prior to the art gallery opening, um, and my uncle came up from Upland, and him and I were walking down the street to the bistro to get some lunch, and he saw your little like shoddily written out sign that you had in the window <laughs> yeah. that said dark art coming soon. And he just looks at that and he goes, I guess you moved into the right building. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember the beginning. It's weird to think about it now that I'm at this point with you where I remember I'm like, I want to go talk to him because he's into weird shit. And then I would try to like go down there and I'd be like, but I'm socially awkward. I don't know how to start a conversation with people. I've worked with dead people for so long. So. We became fast friends. But we're dead quick. inside, so exactly. it's perfect. <laughs> I, just, I just inserted myself into the business. I just kept showing up every single day with my dog, bothering Jeremy until he just finally let me do something. Yeah. And honestly, we let you do that because we love Freya. Yeah. yeah I, mean, I tell my boyfriend that all the time. I'm like, let's get real. You're only in this relationship because you love my dog. <laughs> yeah. Like I asked him if he wanted to come and just like hang out and watch just to get out of the apartment because he's not fortunate like me. He doesn't have technically an essential job where he can leave three days out of the week to get away from me. Um, and let's and, face it, Freya's humped us all way more than oh, you yeah. have. Oh yeah. He won't, <laughs> see, that's the thing. He won't let Freya hump him. Yeah. I'm like, come on, dude, just give it up. Yeah, you got to give it yeah, up. Yeah, that dog humps really well. Do, do you want the lover now? Like, He takes the feet licking, so he's oh. into the foot stuff that she gives. I've never gotten him I feel like stuff. I know well, him see, so much Well, see, because you're always wearing now. shoes. Yeah. If you take those shoes off, I she'll know. lick those Next feet. Next time. <laughs> that is so foul. I do not. I can't. Just picturing that makes me nauseous. It really does. We'll see. What's great, too, is she just recently discovered turtles. So I'm staying Wait, at my... what does that mean? How did you discover turtles? So I'm staying at my boyfriend's apartment through all of this. Um, and he lives in one of those complexes that has tried to make it upper scale. So they have this section with a koi pond and they have red-eared sliders and koi fish and they have a snowy egret that hangs out there. And so I take Freya over there once or twice a day just for us to get out of the house. Um, and at first she didn't notice the turtles because they blended in so well with the rocks. And then she realized what they were and she's obsessed with trying to sniff their butts. <laughs> and it's, it was really cute because the other day there was one in the water kind of hanging around the edge. And she just did this slow paw at it, thinking that, like, I didn't notice it and that the turtle wouldn't notice it either. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, who doesn't like a rock with a dick? You know, like, <laughs> that's a turtle, right? Like, it's, it's, it's a rock with a dick that comes out the front of it. <laughs> <laughs> like, no. Okay. Have you seen a turtle? It looks yeah, like well, a rock with well, a sudden well, dick. Yeah. I, 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 <laughs> the head comes out and... 
right. I just, I love how their back, <laughs> I love how their back legs look like they were ran over by a semi because they're just flat. They're flat fins meant for swimming in the water. So it looks like a car drove over them. <laughs> that's what I think of every time. See, that's, that's not weirder than thinking it's a rock with a tail. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, all right. So, so she loves turtles. We love Fram. Yeah. Um, so let's see. I, I do have a list of questions I'm going to refer to occasionally when things get awkward like this. And we might edit this part out because that would be smart. Ah, but, whatever. <laughs> just let it roll, man. Right? Yeah. Just let it rip. All right. So... I guess there's understandably a lot of confusion when it comes to mortuary jobs and, and the titles involved, because it, 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 unless you've seen like Six Feet Under, which, you know. Which was actually pretty well researched, and shout out to Cypress College. That's where show. Federico, the embalmer in Six Feet Under went. Yeah, they, they really did their research. I mean, that's, granted, the show is more about like the dynamics of the family. Oh, sure. It's the Than backdrop. it is about the actual business. But the little bit of the business that they have sprinkled in there is pretty accurate of what it's like to work in a family-owned funeral home. So give me the breakdown. So I'm a dead body. I a dead body. <laughs> I is, By Apple. I is dead I body. Dead. Yeah, I dead. <laughs> I dead body. And, uh, and my family has, has contacted you. From that moment, who are they talking to and where do I end up in whose hands before I'm either on fire or in the ground? <laughs> on fire. <laughs> I, segue, sidebar. I saw a meme the other day that said, uh, apparently I'm not supposed to ask the family smoking or non-smoking and it's like a funeral director. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. It's adorable. I'm like, and this is why they don't let me meet with families because that sort of stuff would come out of my mouth. Some people find it charming. Others do not. Um, All right. So, so I'm dead. My you're family's dead. contacted you. Yes. Who are they talking to when they call? And they're like, from there, like, just give me the breakdown of the process of what, what's going to happen to me and whose hands am I I'm oh, in? Oh, wow. Um, I mean, it, First off, it's all going to depend on the circumstances regarding how you died. I mean, if you don't have tiger a... mauling, tiger mauling, <laughs> tiger mauling. <laughs> I was oh, mauled to death by a tiger. I thought I thought that was a new street drug. <laughs> tiger mauling. Tiger mauling. Dude, I do so much tiger mauling. Oh man, you just start hallucinating and seeing like exotic Joe everywhere, and, like Lisa Frank. You just think you're exotic Joe. <laughs> You're like, God damn you, Carol! <laughs> that oh, sounds like man. a really shitty trip, but anyway, go ahead. <laughs> Tiger mauling, is that seriously the scenario we're going with? Because okay, I sure. could break it down. All right, all right. Yeah, sure. Let, let's say that I'm pretty fucked up. Like, my body's going to need some help. Okay, well, I'll give you the average. So let's say that you're someone that's been a lifelong type 2 diabetic. So if that's the case, you obviously have a doctor that you're seeing regularly, or at least one would think, you know, it is the United States. Unfortunately, we have some problems going on right now. Um, so just for the sake of this scenario, you have a doctor. You're going to see that doctor regularly. That doctor knows that you're not in the best of health. So when you do die, you don't have to become a coroner's case or you don't have to go to the medical examiner's office. Um, people go to the medical examiner's office because they um, died either in a suspicious way or they didn't have a primary care physician to attest or sign the death certificate. So Tiger mauling is pretty suspicious, I'm just saying. Yes, if you were tiger mauling, <laughs> depending on where you died and which county you died, that county's 
coroner or medical examiner would take custody of your body first. It would not come to a mortuary. Unless you're in Florida. <laughs> Unless you're in Florida, yeah. Yeah, then it's usual, like, a gator mauling. how people yeah. die is tigers. And okay, I feel like one sidebar. Of the... <laughs> I saw a video the other day of a like a seven foot gator crawling a fence. Oh, I saw that. Yeah, that was awesome. And it was terrifying. I'm like, those fuckers could crawl over fences? They could climb? <laughs> yeah. Like, this was news to me. I'm so much yeah. more scared of them now. Anyway, go ahead. That's so many years I, old. Right? I follow this Instagram page called Nature is Metal, and they posted a video the other day where it was a dog sliding into a gator pit, and it was the most terrifying thing I've ever seen. In Please tell me the dog was okay? Unfortunately, no. God damn it. Was yeah. about to follow that Instagram and not anymore. I am not, you know, some I, of the I stuff they, I mean, most that. of the stuff they post is just nature in the wild, but every once in a while I mean, they that's post, nature. It's, it's just not the fun yeah. Disney documentary part of it. <laughs> yeah, but when you put a domesticated dog into the picture, and I love how Instagram doesn't bother to censor any of their stuff, but that video, they did, where you had to click something to be able to get yeah. to the video. I was like, hey, just let you know, this is kind of fucked up. And me being me, it just piqued my curiosity, and I'm like, I'm clicking on it. And then I watched it, and I'm like, why did I click on yeah, this? That's, that's All right, terrible. so the medical examiner. <laughs> the medical examiner, yes. <laughs> Let's get back on track. So... Um, so yeah, uh, so in that instance, what would happen is um, your attending physician, or say you were on hospice, the hospice nurse, um, your death would basically be called by some medical attendant. And at that point, your family would be instructed to contact a mortuary. Um, and that's when you call me. When you call me, we refer to that as a death call, and that is when you inform the mortuary of your choosing that someone has passed away. We collect various statistics from you, such as where is, where are they, what time did they die, uh, what is their name, how big are they, are we going to have to carry their fat ass down some stairs, uh, and then we <laughs> dispatch. You're just going to have to get used to that. <laughs> Um, and then we don't fat shame the dead. <laughs> I just got to tell you when you've worked by yourself trying to maneuver a 600 pound dead body, you, you start to hate people that let themselves get to that point God a little bit. I have serious back <laughs> problems now because of it. And I actually got in trouble at one of my jobs because I made a comment and I said, do your mortician a favor and lose some weight. Oh, that should be a t-shirt. <laughs> I mean, it's horrible, but I love it. it. It is. And I mean, that's one thing about being a mortician, and I, I stand by this, is that if you're going to go into death care in any aspect, whether it be an embalmer, a funeral director, a hospice worker, um, a medical examiner, an autopsy tech, you got to have a good sense of humor. Like, if you can't see the humor in what you're dealing with, like, this job will eat you alive. I can imagine it's like any other potentially traumatizing job, whether it be, you know, military, police, yeah. fire, mortician, embalmer, mm -hmm. like, if you don't have a morbid sense yeah. of humor about it, like, there's yeah. just no way for your brain to process that properly, right? Like, or yeah. in a healthy way. I yeah, mean, exactly. And, and you're going to end up dragged down by it. You know, and they say, like, actions versus words. It's like, if I truly hated these people or hated what I do for a living, I mean, I wouldn't wake up at 4.30 in the morning to go into work at 6 a.m. every single day and work a 12-hour shift and help these families and, like, fight with my coworkers when they're trying to be lazy pieces of shit. 
and not doing what's best for the family. Like, I hope they're I, listening. Like, I hope they're I mean, listening and learn. You know, like I, I, we care about these people, yeah. even though we don't know them. But the benefit of me not having an emotional relationship with the decedent is, you know, I can do my job. Decedent? Decedent. Is that a technical term? I, I mean, I worked for one mortuary. It's not deceased? Uh, decedent is one of the words we use. There's, there's a whole slew of jargon that we use. Um, the only reason I say decedent is because I, for many years, worked for one company where my boss did not like that we called the decedents cases. He thought it was dehumanizing. And so anytime you would say yeah. case, I have a case to work on, I have to get this case ready for their funeral, he would yell at us and tell us that decedent was the appropriate word. And so now I always say decedent. I've never heard that word in my life yeah. before. That's cool. Decedent. So anyways, so um, going so, back to the scenario, yeah, so you now, die. Now that the decedent. So you've contacted the mortuary at this point, and uh, we dispatch someone to the location of the decedent, whether it be at a hospital morgue or at their home. Um, and we pick them up and we bring them back into our care. At which point, um, depending on what time of day it is, we have a funeral director that will then reach out to the person with the right of disposition, not the next of kin. That's something that is very important to specify because people often think that because they're next of kin, they have the right to disposition, and that's not always the case. You, is, is that a legal yes. thing? Like, yes. So, so if, you, if you don't have somebody, what would you call it again? Um, a person with a right to disposition. Yeah, the right to the person with the right. To, so if I don't have that, I don't actually have somebody who has the right to say. I mean, everybody has one of those as default in some way, shape, or who form. Who is that person? Like, if you're not um, married. So it's it, by law, it's called the table of consequentity. So it's uh, it, there's a pecking order to it. So first and foremost, if you have a healthcare directive or someone that has a durable power of attorney for healthcare. Um, they are the person that will oversee everything. They supersede spouses, domestic partnerships, children. So, I mean, you guys could go out and make some friend that you knew in kindergarten your healthcare directive. That would be so person, fucked up. Yeah, I don't want to do that. Tell your girlfriend and your wife, like, go fuck yourself. And basically, like, your wife. Cross. No, my high school girlfriend. I want to give it to yeah, my high exactly. school Yeah, exactly. Give it to your high school like, girlfriend. I don't know where she gets this information. And so oh. basically, screw your wife over and just be like, look, my high school girlfriend has the say. <laughs> she knows Christ. what I want to happen. Um, at that point, it then goes down to the uh, spouse or registered domestic partner. If you have none, it then goes to your children. Now this is another specification because if you have multiple children, some children, because they're the eldest, think that they have the most say. I would that assume is, that the eldest was... was that is one. not legally yeah. how it works. So your children, so in my family, I'm one of three. We are all adults. So as long as the children are of the age of majority, so they are above the age of 18 in the state of California, their say is all equal. So we have to actually get a majority of them to agree on oh. funeral services in order to proceed. They have to vote. They basically have to vote, yeah. Holy shit. They have to vote on are we smoking or non-smoking grandma or <laughs> mom. Um, and then from there, if you have no children, it goes to your parents, if your parents are still alive. And then at that point, it goes to like Uncle siblings. Joe or... and, yeah, and basic. And if you are the person that has the right to disposition and it falls on you in the state of California, you do have the right to waive it and give it to the next person. 
And that happens oftentimes, especially with elderly couples, you know, if the spouse dies and the wife is like 80 years old and just isn't in the right frame of mind or physically not okay to deal with that, she can legally pass it on to her children. Now, if, if, if you have the right and you decide to pass it on, do you get to pick who that person is that gets to make the decisions? Or you know, is, it, is it just the next person in queue? Um, it's always just been the next person in queue, but I would imagine that you would have the right to say, I mean, it, don't quote me on any of this. Yeah. This is where like the law gets a little fuzzy. I mean, this me. is pretty intricate detail, but like, yeah. like you couldn't just say, Hey, see that homeless guy across the street. Like he gets to make the decisions now. Yeah. That typically doesn't happen. Yeah, Usually well, I, what course, happens but... is uh, mom is not doing so well. She's elderly. We're worried for her health. We're going to take it over. AKA the children are going to take it over. And that's usually what occurs in, in the natural order of things. The children would be next anyway. So I'm not really sure if the person that has the right to disposition has the right to assign the task to someone else, or if it just naturally falls to the next person in the pecking order. All right, so the kids have decided, they, they, they held the vote, and they've decided that they are going to uh, have the body prepped for viewing and burial. Okay. What now? So at that point, what your funeral director does is sits down with you for about an hour, and they get you to sign all of these documents. And once you sign these documents, they begin to go to different places. So uh, me working in preparations as an embalmer, we would receive an embalming authorization, and we would proceed to embalm as soon as possible. And not everybody gets embalmed, right? Not everyone gets embalmed, no. Because, But do people get embalmed if they're going to get burned? Sometimes, yeah. Absolutely. All right, all right, um, right. I mean, I specifically work for a black mortuary. Uh, now, this is one thing that was even surprising to me going into the funeral industry is how segregated funerals are. Um, people tend to stay with their own race, their own culture when it comes to funerals. Uh, there's not a lot of like overlap. So if you're Jewish, you're going to a Jewish funeral home. If you're black, you're going to a black owned funeral home. Mm. If you're Mormon, you're going to whatever funeral home in the area has the Latter Day Saints account. Um, so I work for a mortuary that primarily deals with uh, the black community and African Americans. And so in their culture, they're Baptists and it's very important to them to be able to still view the decedent. So we still go through the process of embalming, cosmetics, hairstyling, dressing, casketing. We do the full pomp and circumstance of a full day viewing followed by a morning or afternoon funeral service and a burial. Or if they're being cremated, at which point they would go back to preparations. We would remove them from the casket and then they would go to the crematory. So just because you're being cremated doesn't mean you're not going to be embalmed. All right, all right. Which, that's another that's, misconception. That's, that's really weird. I, I just, like, that's bizarre as hell to me, but okay. Yeah. I guess all you right. want to be embalmed if you're going to be viewed. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, right. yeah, you don't want to stink. Yeah. yeah. So in the state of California, um, it is illegal to tell a family that embalming is required by law because it's not. However, and this is where it gets a little hairy um, and most people don't understand, is that funeral homes are allowed to make stipulations of what they are allowed to do. Uh, because at the ending of the day, we are working adjacent to public health. I mean, yeah. you can see with COVID-19, um, we're working with individuals that are potentially contagious. You could potentially catch something from a dead body. And there are funeral directors out there and on the internet that will tell you that dead bodies aren't dangerous. They totally can be. I can't imagine that there's a way that you could say that with a straight face because 
a lot of stuff can live on a dead body. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, there's really scary things like CJD, which is essentially mad cow disease. It's 100% fatal. If you catch it, you're going to die. Think of it as an accelerated form of Alzheimer's where you just have this uh, prion that gets into your brain and starts eating away at your brain. I remember when that was a thing. It started over in England, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I I remember that. I was actually reading something that said that they think that there's going to be another massive outbreak of it because it can lie dormant for a few decades. And they think that anyone that potentially consumed that meat back in the 90s when that was occurring could have that prion lying dormant in their body. And it can just reactivate in like 20, 30 years. And boom, we have another massive outbreak of a disease that's just going to take people out. Well, that sounds fun. So anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it's interesting because my roommate's British. He's from Canterbury. And he told me that that's actually one of the reasons why he can't donate blood. That every Shout time out to he Hunter. tries, that anytime he tries to go donate blood, uh, they ask him if he lived in England during that period of time, and when he tells them yes, they say no. We don't want your blood. Wow. Yeah. All right. So at which point, yes, going back to the funeral so, yeah, arrangements. Yeah. We're, so we're, we're, and I love that this keeps tangenting because we're covering so much, so much awesome territory that you know, I my would job, not even have thought about. But. My job alone could be a podcast by itself. I, there's so many different aspects, and we live in a society that is in such denial that this is going to happen to them. Oh, we're, we, we're completely insulated from the death experience oh, yeah. here. Yeah, and, and yeah. I am so much a proponent to people taking on as much as they're comfortable with when it comes to a funeral. By all means, come in and do grandma's hair or paint her nails or put her makeup on. I mean, legally, if you're next of kin, you have every right to be in the embalming room with me when I embalm. You can legally be in the room with me and watch me embalm if you're the person with the right to disposition or you're the spouse. Um, The only stipulation would be I can't have any other decedents in the room. You can't be able to view anybody else's. So you can't have like a big party in there. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. So basically, I was like, I mean, embalming party. A lot of a like lot that's of, in my will now. Like embalming parties in my will. <laughs> it's obviously something that we don't push or advertise well, because, yeah. I mean, we work in rooms that have two, three tables, and so that multiple embalmers can be working at one time. And if we were allowed, uh, if we allowed a family member to come in and view the embalming, it means that essentially operations kind of shuts down for the yeah. day. And when you work in a care center that's as busy as mine, um, we we can't afford for that to happen. But it, it's an option out there for people. I mean, that's crazy. If that's you good can stomach it. All right. So so the the body is now. I am now in. I, I've been transported. Okay. I am in the mortuary. You've met with a director. You've signed all the documents. All the all the paperwork's complete. We are going. Is I I look I look like shit. I've been mauled by a fucking tiger. Okay. You, you're going to have to work on me because people want to see me before I get put in the ground. Okay. So what's next? I mean, if you were mauled by a tiger, this is going back to the coroner situation. So you're probably autopsied, maybe. Right. So I got the, I, I got the pretty Y. You have the Y incision. Yeah. Um, you probably have a cranial incision as well. Oh, that's a thing yeah. too. I didn't yeah. know that. That it, That's another. So this is one of my favorite things to do. I like to watch CSI and stuff and then like laugh at their incisions. I'm like, huh. That's not how you make a wine incision. <laughs> what a shitty incision. What a shitty incision. <laughs> <laughs> That's not realistic at all. That's not how a baseball suture looks. So what's the cranial thing? What's that all about? Oh, so majority of the time when you go to get an autopsy, so there's 
there's multiple forms of autopsies. So you can get a thoracic autopsy where it's just the thoracic cavity. The chest. The chest cavity. Yeah. Um, you can get an abdominal cavity, an, uh, an abdominal autopsy. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, if they're going to do one, they'll do the other. That's why you see that long Y incision. Right. But there are times where people come in and they just have their you know, sternum cracked and it. They just looked at like the heart and the lungs and that was about it. Um, well, they're I mean, cranial. I imagine that they probably have a pretty good idea going in what the issue was. Possibly. So they don't, yeah. uh, why, why go into areas that they don't need to go into, right? Uh, I mean, yeah. So it depends on the medical examiner's office. So Los Angeles County is the biggest and busiest medical examiner's office, I would say, in the world. In the world? In the world. Um, they, they deal with so much. So a lot of times, if it's very obvious of how you died, they won't do extra stuff. Yeah, they're not fucking with it. But that. in Orange County, at their medical examiner's office, uh, I remember this because when I was going through school to get my degree in mortuary science, we had to go watch autopsies being performed at the Orange County medical examiner's. And they said, if you come through our doors, you're getting a full post, a full autopsy, which means you're getting thoracic, abdominal, and cranial. Yeah, rich white people don't care. Yeah. But the worst of all is when they do a spinal autopsy because it's just awkward. It's really awkward having... You cut somebody's back open. Oh, yeah. They'll cut open down the spine and they'll open you up and look at the spine. So what are they looking for there? Um, Possibly breaks, fractures. Oh, like a broken back. Yeah, Yeah. things like that. Um, But we we didn't explain the head one, though. So cranial autopsy is pretty common. If, if you go to the medical examiners and they perform an autopsy, you're typically getting a cranial autopsy. So they just, they make an incision in the back of your head behind your ears and they uh, just pull your- De-glove your head. De-glove. Uh, there's, <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm trying to think of the technical term. Refract, reflect, they like reflect your scalp. Okay. Um, and I know then, de-glove is something else. I just like the Yeah, word. de-glove is something else that's we'll, we'll a lot, talk about that in a minute. A lot more gross. Um, and so they then proceed to uh, saw your calvarium off. And then that way they can have access to your brain. They take your brain out and they do what they need to do, take tissue samples. And then at which point your brain goes into your abdomen. See, I wow. afterwards. So if you've had a cranial in a bag, autopsy, right? yeah. All your shit goes into a bag and then stuffed back inside you. Yes. We call it the menudo bag. The menudo bag. The menudo wow. bag. Aww. So yeah, all of your uh, visceral organs after <laughs> so they dissect them one by one and they they take, you know, fluid samples and uh, tissue samples and then afterwards like they are legally not allowed to keep them. So they have to put them back into uh, a bag, typically a biohazard bag, and they just kind of tie it up and they set it into your abdomen and, whoops, sorry, <laughs> and, and they kind of loosely suture you back up. And then when you get to the mortuary, um, if you are going to be embalmed, that's the point where I would open you back up oh. and I would take out all of your organs and I would have to preserve them outside of your body because obviously they're no longer attached to your vascular system. It's been disrupted by all of the incisions and the cutting and you become what's called a six-point injection where we have to inject each limb of your body separately. We treat all of your visceral organs outside of your body, and then when we are done, we put them back in, and we suture you up very tight so that nothing leaks out. Right. Yeah. Now, speaking of leaks. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> where is this going? I mean, well, I mean, I know that there's a lot of myths and, and things uh, around... 
leaks and things that stop leaks and things like that. Like, you know, I, I've seen pictures of screw-in butt plugs. and <laughs> That's an AV plug, yeah. That yeah. is a real thing. Yeah. Most embalmers do not use them, though. So why don't they use them? Like, you just let them leak out their ass? Um, so it's, it's somewhat of a myth that everybody shits themselves when they die. Okay, but if they that do, who cleans question. it up? Where's yeah. the poop go? Yeah, no. <laughs> South Park, I'm sorry, you got it wrong. <laughs> not everybody, and thankfully, not everybody shits themselves right? when they die. I imagine that would not be fun for you. Yeah. Um, typically, in the event, if you do get a shitter that just won't stop, um, an AV plug is something that you can utilize to plug it up you basically screw it into the anus, anus yeah, yeah. Um, that's why it's av stands for uh, anal vaginal um so oh it can so also, they go other it can places. also go in the front yep whoa it can go in the front butt too so what's what's coming out the front <laughs> um sometimes sometimes there's no lady, shit coming out of there right sometimes ladies leak and there are instances where women give birth and then they get holes that go through their membrane right there so they're essentially their birth canal and their oh get connected that's a real thing oh man look it up yeah i actually i don't want to look that yeah up. it's <laughs> nobody it's wants pretty, to look that it's up. pretty terrifying and it's probably one of the reasons i don't ever want to have kids besides you know the financial responsibility yeah. and, and children and children right um I, i've heard of i've heard of post-mortem birth though Oh, but that's a different thing I gotta, That's a story for later, but I got a oh, good man. one. Maybe okay. when we get to your later questions, we can all right, dip all right. into that one. That all was right. probably the strangest, one of the strangest things in my life. Ooh, <laughs> we're teasing now. We're teasing. So, okay. So, now you have to keep Okay, so my, my, my anal vaginal plugs are in. But uh, let me specify with that. So I've been an embalmer for, I mean, I've been in the industry now for over 10 years. Um, I started in the industry... Uh, back in the summer of 2009, 2010. This has been 10 years now. Um, I've never used one of those. Ever. Never. Ever. Um, one of the problems, one of the arguments embalmers make is that when you insert that, it actually loosens the muscles and uh. makes the problem worse. Uh, so we typically just utilize um, diapers. Oh. Yeah. So no I, I just put diapers. I almost said no shit. <laughs> <laughs> we utilize diapers. Um, I've also sutured some buttholes. So that's, that was so going to be my next question. Yeah, so if you I, just I, I suture. Yeah. yeah. I, sometimes I do just suture them shut because I feel like it's a better method. What a day. But it has to be, it has to be pretty bad for me to take that step. So is it just shit that's coming out of there or like if, if somebody's been around for a while post-mortem <laughs> you know they've been sitting for a bit like are they just leaking out of everything uh, i mean it not always okay uh, okay it, it it all depends on various things um it also can start leaking after embalming so sometimes uh, after we do what's called cavity injection it can open some things up and so sometimes formaldehyde will leak out oh, that, so oh, it's not just sense. it's not just shit. i mean you know you're adding more liquid to something that's liquefying, so yeah. it makes sense. Yeah. All right. So you got me all fixed up. All right. Uh, as far as the embalming and, and my AS goes, um, <laughs> nothing's leaking out, but I still look like shit. Okay. What's next? Um, so what's next is if you have any sort of issues, we would employ what's called restorative art, which can vary um it typically involves wax we can utilize plaster of paris 
Uh, we can also do typical, um, there's restorative sutures that we can use where they're sutures that are meant to be hidden and they typically lie flush with the body so that you can easily wax over them. Um, this is also something that we would already be working on while we're embalming. Oh, it's depending simultaneous. On the, yeah, so it's, it's something, it depends on the level of restorative art that's required. Um, well, give me an example of, let's say... I've had my head beaten in with a fire extinguisher. Okay, so you have a crushed skull at this point. Yes. So you were probably autopsied. Yes. Um, because your brain no longer inhabitates, inhabits your skull. Yeah. Um, when we're embalming now. you, when we're done embalming, and we're going to go to suture your cranium. Hold on a second. Why a fire extinguisher? Uh, what that, did you do? It's a, it, it's, <laughs> it's an, uh, that movie, that French movie, Casper No made, uh, Irreversible. It starts with a guy just beating this guy's face with a fire, with a fire extinguisher. extinguisher. And it's just disgusting. Like, like, is it just like a bowl when he's done? Yeah, it's just, it's just malt. Like, you just tell people no, right? I mean, most of the time, if, if, because it all does depend on the mortuary and it depends on the type of embalmer that they employ. Um, I've met a lot of embalmers in my career that just really don't give a shit about the artistic aspect of it. But me, on the other hand, I went in specifically wanting to learn how to do these things. Well, you were a sculptor, right? I was a sculptor. So when I first entered college, I had an interest in ceramics. I spent probably about eight to nine hours a day just sculpting using clay. Um, but being a rational person, I didn't think that I could ever make a life out of art. So I wanted to make sure that hey, you're smarter than the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to make sure that I had skills that, uh, could be utilized to make money. So I'm not poor all the time. Um, and I just so happened to wind up at Cypress college, which is one of two colleges in the state of California that offers a degree in mortuary science. And after being there for a couple of semesters and people getting to know me, I had a lot of faculty coming to me telling me that maybe I should go to a workshop for the program to see if it's something that I would like. So I ended They're like, up, you're a fucked up person. Yeah, pretty much. You like fucked like, up shit. They were like, you're morbidly curious. You're <laughs> yeah. really interested in this stuff. Um, and so I went to one of the workshops for the program and they talked about how it's a great stepping stone. So if you'd ever like to cross over into the medical examiner's office, uh, many autopsy technicians are licensed embalmers. And that is not, I wouldn't say a requirement, but it is desirable. If they see that you have a background in mortuary science when you apply to a medical examiner's office, you kind of go a little bit higher up that list um, gotcha. and you're more likely to get a call back. But then they took us back into the restorative art rooms and they showed us all of these um, like life masks of people that had various deformities and how, and then they talked about how they would teach us how to sculpt body parts and fix things so that people could be viewed. That had to be so fascinating. And like I'm fascinated just like thinking about it. I've also always loved death masks. Yeah. I, I know that's a very different subject, but you brought up life masks. Oh yeah. Like I love the artistry of a death mask and there's something so beautiful. Well, that was, about uh, that's actually one interesting thing about Cypress College is they're probably one of the last mortuary science programs that like they 
they still teach that. Like that's something that you learn how to do. Granted, no one really wants a death mask anymore, but, but I've been I? trained. I've been trained on how to do but, it. But if I asked for one, uh, could I get one? Oh, yeah. I, and, I mean, and, and my embalmer or director would assure that it happens? I, I mean, I'm capable of doing it. I can't speak for everyone, but... but the in, mortuary, all, in, in all those forms I'm signing, is that a question? Like, yeah, with the mortuary <laughs> facility. Do you want a death mask? That is not a question. I did actually used to work for a guy, though, that that's kind of a side hustle he had, is he would offer that to families. Oh, my He's God. Like, you want plaster he would do the plaster hand thing a lot of the time mm -hmm. because people didn't, oh, yeah. didn't want the face they thought it was kind of creepy yeah but he would do the plaster hands like where it that's i can yeah. totally see that yeah that and that was that was how he kind of made side money i'm surprised i've never heard that. of that the side the hands i, mean, I never yeah. heard of that yeah that was i don't think one. i've ever seen one mm -hmm. i've even been to the muter and i and i didn't see him there the hands or the yeah, death mask the, 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 the hand casts I don't think they're as like common, yeah. really. I mean, when I think of them, I they kind have tons of, of, of death masks there. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah I've but... seen Napoleon's death mask. That was pretty cool. Um, so yeah, it was it... short. <laughs> little. It was a little, a little, <laughs> a little bitty baby. It was, it was angry and small. <laughs> angry and small. Um, so yeah, when I am embalming your body that's been molded by a, or I'm sorry, we're on. Yeah, no, no, we're, we're we, on shots. We've now, shifted. Now, on shots. now, now I've so been, beaten, been beaten, beaten by a fire hydrant. You've been beaten by a fire hydrant. Or a fi okay. fire extinguisher. Yeah. Fire, yeah, fire hydrant. That'd be pretty impressive. Uh, so, anyways, so strong. Would that be like American History X style, where you bite yeah. it and then they? Yeah, oh, yeah. The curb stomp. Oh god. They fire hydrants oh. off you. Um, it shit fucks me up so bad watching that. I, I can't mean, even it's tell the same. You. It's the same thing. Oh. Like, both. I had the same reaction. To I would both rather. Movies. I would rather get my head bashed in with a fire extinguisher than get curb stomped. I gotta say, I have things with the teeth. The teeth, like, oh. Yeah. Like if, oh, you, yeah. if you ever needed to get information out of me, all you had to do was come at me with pliers mm -hmm. and I'll tell you everything. Good to know. <laughs> yeah. So with a crushed skull, we would um, typically go inside with something called Webroll. They're like sheets of cotton okay. and we would use it to uh, recreate your brain. That's what we typically do on an autopsy um, because we want to fill that negative space. Uh, but in the instance of a crushed skull, it really helps to kind of push the bones forward so they're not collapsed in on themselves. And then that way it kind of gives more of a natural look. And then at that point, we suture you shut and then we work from the outside. Uh, I actually went to a seminar many years ago. There is a man by the name of Vernie Fountain who teaches embalmers. He has a whole academy that you can go to if you're a licensed embalmer. Did you say Vernie Fountain? Vernie Fountain. What a name. And he teaches you how to actually skin someone's face so that you can go in and wire the bones together or recreate them with plaster of Paris. And then that way you just have to lay the skin back on and it's as good as new. And you don't have to do a lot of topical um, restoration so you don't have to sense. use yeah and it really that's ideal because i hate wax everybody that works with me knows i hate wax it, it's really hard to use it's hard to cosmetize over it's unnatural looking. cosmetize i mean you're, you're applying makeup over. applying makeup over yeah, yeah. Right. it's like some people try to like color the wax and try to get it to match the skin before they apply it um, some individuals. What would you use for that? Like an acrylic paint or? No, no, no. Just right. We have uh, like oil-based cosmetics that we oil -based. use. Oil-based. Okay, yeah. So yeah. we would put the cosmetics into mm. it and kind of mix it in to try to match the skin tone. But the hard part of that is 
is in that sort of instance, they're not going to be a natural skin tone anymore. You're gonna hit them really hard with chemicals and it's gonna cause a phenomenon called uh, formaldehyde gray. So when you use formaldehyde on a decedent, especially topically, it can tend to gray out their tissues. So then at that point, you're kind of playing a guessing game on what color were they when they were alive, mm. unless you have a photo. Yeah, do you, right. that, was, that was the question I was about to ask you. Have you ever sculpted somebody's face like looking at a, at a, at a photo of them? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I'd imagine it, in that common. sort of instance, a photo would be <clears throat> demanded by me. Okay. We ask everybody to supply photos. A lot of the times, families don't quite understand what that means. Like we've, I got one photo once where the man was in his late seventies. They issued me a photo back when he was in World War II. <laughs> like, like make him look pretty and again. Like when he was like a nineteen-year-old shirtless with six-pack abs and a full head of hair, just buffed out standing in front of like a fighter jet and they're like make him look like that and it was black and white so it wasn't helpful in any oh, way Jesus. and yeah. then sometimes you get the people that photocopy their driver's license and then try to blow up that image and then by the time it gets to me it's just pixelated I'd imagine shit. that in the I world, can't use it I'd imagine that now with everybody having smartphones and like the photography being so easy that that's probably less and less right uh, it still happens actually it's happened a few times this week alone um, I got one that was a black and white photo. I received photos that were super old when the person was obviously healthy and weighed probably about 80 pounds heavier than they do now yeah. at the time of death. If you would think it makes sense. You'd think that people would get it, but they're not always in the most sound frame of mind. I don't know, like if, if you're gonna redo me, like when I'm dead, do you like, want to? Yeah. I want to look like I'm in my twenties versus like now. Yeah, so. you are so fucked. You're pushing it. <laughs> I've seen pictures of you in your twenties. It's not happening. Yeah, I mean, it's embalming. I always use this analogy, especially when I'm training. That embalming is a lot like driving. I mean, there's many different routes I can take to get home. I can take the freeway. I can take side roads, but ultimately, you're going to lead to the same place. And so, there's all sorts of different ways. And the biggest part of my job is problem solving. And that's probably the most fun aspect of it for me is getting someone that's just messed up. You and ever had to reconstruct a burn? Uh, burn victims, we typically don't. Uh, yeah. When someone is burned, it, it's hard. Um, I can't imagine that, that just would work. Just think of a piece of chicken that you left too long on the grill so it gets a nice, thick black crust on it but it's still meat on the inside yeah that's what most burn victims look like and they do smell like chicken too which is kind of weird because when you get a burn victim and you walk into the mortuary you're just instantly hungry for barbecue oh, that's fun time. oh my god yeah. <laughs> i didn't expect that to make me feel oh, yeah. so weird oh yeah <laughs> um <laughs> like Oh, like a lot of experience that, but at the same time, it could ruin meat forever. <laughs> it, it's funny. I'm because surprised you're not a vegetarian. A lot of people think that when someone like dies in a car fire or a house fire, that they're just ash, and it's because they don't really understand the chemistry nah, behind barbecue. how much just how much heat is required to combust a human body. It's insane. Uh, I mean, it's there's a lot of liquid in there. There's, it's a, there's a lot of stuff to break down and. Even with cremation, you're not dust at the ending of it. And that's something that blows people away is they think that we open that retort, that cremation chamber, and it's just powder. No, your bone still. It's just your bone. 
And then from there, we rake your bones out and we put it into an industrial-like blender and pulverize you down to that powder that you no actually get. No fucking way. Yeah. I remember, okay, so. What? Didn't know that. I did not know this either. So the last time the Dark Art Emporium took place in Midsummer Scream that happens in the summer in Long Beach, I remember I was working the booth with you, Cross, and a lady came up and was talking to you and mentioned something about the funeral industry. And you pointed at me and was like, oh, that's what she does. And I proceeded to get into this conversation with the woman. She tried to tell me that they have this new technology where they just churn a fan on and it cremates people. The fan cremates people. They the don't even fan need. does. Yeah, and I just, <laughs> I've learned, <laughs> I've learned to pick my battles with people. Um, and I'm sure that everybody gets this in their chosen profession in some sure. way, shape, or form, where yeah. you meet people that think that you're the idiot, even though you went to college for this and have the degree and do this, you know, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Um, but she tried to tell me that, yeah, I didn't know what I was talking about. And I just really wanted to tell her, I'm like, no, lady, you don't know what you're talking about. But I left it. I let it be and, and let then her go you on. went back to work and there was a new fan. <laughs> yeah. And you were like, God damn it. <laughs> now I'm an asshole. <laughs> I don't even understand how I just like that, when okay. she said that to me, the first thing that went through my mind was just this really huge industrial fan and just like someone like the mountain from Game of Thrones just hurling the body towards the fan <laughs> and it just chopping it up into just ground It's like beef. the Nazi from, uh, what is it, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark? <laughs> like he even goes into the propeller. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just missed. Much. Just, just fucking missed. Just meat confetti everywhere in the room. And then, that, yeah. sounds, that sounds way better than burning and blending. It, it makes much more sense. I mean, they're the... I believe it was Governor Jerry Brown. He did sign into law a new form of disposition, which most people don't know about. And it's it's called alkaline hydrolysis, but we refer to it as water cremation for families. That's my favorite black metal band. Alkaline hydrolysis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're brutal. So brutal. So brutal. So what is that again? How does that work? Um, so alkaline hydrolysis or water cremation is uh, basically that. I think of it like the dip from Who Framed Roger Rabbit, where it's a liquid um, that you put the body into. So you put them into this chamber that's filled with this liquid that will dissolve all the soft tissue. And then at that point, you just kind of flush it like you would any I other feel like waste. the mob perfected that with Buckets of Lie a long time ago. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's now a legal form of disposition in all the right. state of California. And it's actually much more environmentally conscious. Um, a lot of people are choosing cremation, especially in California, because we're more liberal. Do you guys remember from uh, Return of the Living Dead, uh, the, the tar man? Mm-hmm. That, that I like immediately I went to that, that, that chemical barrel that the tar man <laughs> came out of. It was like, that's how you can make a zombie. Like that's how you end up. You want zombies? That's how you get zombies. <laughs> so yeah, alkaline hydrolysis is um, it, it's much more environmentally conscious because while yes, cremation is better than traditional funeral service where you're using formaldehyde, but you're still emitting stuff. known carcinogens. Yeah, exactly. You are combusting so much fuel and you are putting so much CO2 back into the environment when you use right. traditional flame cremation. So if anybody wants to take away anything from this is 
start requesting alkaline hydrolysis. I mean, it's still in its infancy. Um, I'm not entirely sure where you would go in California. I don't know what mortuary has invested in them, but heck, if you can find one, if any do state it. in the union has it, it's got to be Cali. Yeah, like yeah. somewhere in here. Yeah. I, I mean, my friend Melissa is a um, mortician down in Austin, Texas, and she actually runs the o only carbon neutral funeral home mm. in the state of Texas. And she's a big proponent to water cremation. And that's kind of why I'm piggybacking on this is because if you really want to do the right thing for the environment, if that's something that's important to you. Like, what about like the natural burial? Like that's, that's oh, yeah, a natural burial is great too. Yeah. recently. Yeah, natural burial is great too. I went to my first cemetery. You know, I, I'm a big cemetery. Oh, yeah. Guy. I've been looking at your paintings and yeah. I'm wondering what you're doing with all that. I, <laughs> I can't wait to see what comes out of it. They're, they're just fun. Um, I was wondering if you were going to make another like necropolis. I, I well, where it, was... it started, it, not to get sidetracked, but real quick, um, it started as a study because I was going to do a big cemetery painting based on McDonald's. Yeah, I saw that one, the yeah, like McDonald's awesome. cemetery. So that, that's how the cemetery thing started. And then <clears throat> I did the piece and then this whole COVID thing happens. And just as a thing to do with my family, you know, we would take my kid and his bike and we, we were going to find different cemeteries mm -hmm. um, because it was a safe place to go mm -hmm. and be out of the house. Yeah. And so I was taking more pictures and doing more studies. And anyway, so I went to a, a one out in Palm Springs. No, not Palm Springs. Yucca. And the desert cemetery. Mm -hmm. And they had a massive area that was just for natural burial. Oh, yeah. Joshua Tree. Joshua Tree actually has a natural burial I, site. I think that's the that's what yeah, it was. Yeah, possibly, yeah. Um, I, I, I get confused between Yucca and, and Joshua Tree. And I don't go down know. there much. Um, I'm not a hipster. But it was cool. Like, they had, <laughs> it, it, you know, they're still markers, but they're natural. So yeah, it's, they're like it's, rocks. It's like rocks and cactuses and, and pieces of rotting mm -hmm. wood. But you can easily, you can definitely tell that somebody's buried in that in that mm -hmm. space. But there's there's no name or, or nothing like that. And I I've read of some natural burial sites that utilize uh, GPS, where they just basically give you the GPS coordinates of where they're buried. Oh. So they don't actually use anything like that. I didn't realize GPS was accurate down to like the foot. I guess that makes sense yeah. it would be why not right? it is like the virtual tours we do here mm -hmm. yeah like you set the camera five feet away from the next one and it finds it it knows exactly i mean yeah, i would suppose exactly it's just it like any google map system where like you could drop a pin somewhere and be like okay this is where we buried grandpa these are the latitude and longitude right you know, coordinates yeah. down to whatever decimal point you need yeah. to get it to within feet yeah, yeah. that makes sense yeah <clears throat> all right what so really you don't have to be buried in a natural uh, burial site in order to have a natural burial and that's another misconception as a lot of people think that traditional cemeteries won't allow you to implement any sort of natural burial elements oh absolutely you know right. I mean the Jews have been doing it for centuries the Jews don't embalm they don't use any metals like it's and really that's just pine wood box straight into the ground so you can dissolve back into it I've always noticed that they have their own sections in the cemetery like yeah. they're always sequestered yeah. Is that is that them doing it or is it the cemetery doing it? Do you know? uh, I mean, it might be a little is it bit a of both. Thing? Like it's I, not. Like it's I not really an anti-Semitic thing yeah, at all. all no. Right. Um, I mean, if you go to a lot of cemeteries, like if you mm. go to Evergreen, the oldest cemetery in Los Angeles County, Been you'll there. see. It's yeah, rad as hell. Yeah, I love. I love the back with all the circus performers. That's oh, yeah. my favorite. That's my favorite spot. 
Um, you should also go to the Indigent Dead site where they have the mass graves. That's we'll really cool. This. Yeah. We'll talk about this afterwards. Um, so, yeah, if you go in there, you'll see like there's a section for Chinese. There's a section for the Jewish. There's a section for veterans. Yeah, the older the cemetery, the more segregated it is, mm -hmm. which obviously makes sense. Well, um, but I mean, I'm fascinated in cemeteries too. In fact, when I met Jeremy Schott, I was running an Instagram page called Death's Donation, where in my spare time, I would research decedents and I really looked for just like the common man that had an interesting story. I wasn't necessarily interested in going to the Marilyn Monroe grave sites of the world. Like I wanted to find people that really no one knew anything about, but they had a really cool story. And I would do all of this research during my lunch break at work and on my days off. And then I would go to cemeteries and take photos of myself with the grave. And originally this all kind of started because I wanted to just see how many people's graves I could visit in my lifetime to create maybe some form of a scrapbook. But uh, there was like a point. That's an awesome project. Oh yeah, and you know, it was something that I was really surprised that people liked. Yeah, uh, it, was a, it was a cool Instagram. It, it was cool. It was, and really, it was really neat. I think the thing that was disheartening for me is that I knew that people weren't reading what I was writing. They were just, uh, just kind of like, oh my God, grave, cool, <laughs> click it. And then death kind of became this industry of cool. And maybe this makes me like a hipster to say, but like when that started happening and people were just liking it because of the image of it, rather than someone like me who's devoted their whole entire life to learning this sort of stuff, it just made it less attractive to me. And there was a big period of my life where I was just like, I don't want to deal with that anymore. See, I don't know that I see the appreciation and, and, and popularization of cemeteries and cemetery culture as a bad thing. Yeah, I mean... I mean, because I, I love... Like, like, growing up, I've always gone to cemeteries my entire life. Like, I, I grew up running into cemeteries to hide from kids that were trying to beat me up, mm -hmm. like, in, like, fifth, sixth grade. Like, that was my first experience in the cemeteries was safety. Uh -huh. So they've always been places I'm attracted to. So now... Like finding people that are doing like, like there's a group that does picnics in cemeteries around LA. Mm -hmm. I've actually run into them at a couple of different cemeteries, mm -hmm. and they have these picnic parties. This is mm -hmm. pre-COVID, but they'd have these big picnic parties that are very respectful of the sites, and like I loved that. And then like here we have oh, the yeah. historical society that does like the the, the uh, cemetery tours that talks about like like you were talking yeah. about like the layman's oh, yeah. or the local people uh, that were important to the community. Mm -hmm. Uh, in, in the cemetery. I don't know. I, I I think that anything that takes a little bit of the mystery away and the fear, yeah, more exactly. importantly. Yeah, educate them so yeah. they're not as fearful about it. I mean... I, I'm all for it. But yeah, fuck hipsters. Go ahead. But anyways, <laughs> uh, going back to segregation. So one of the things I learned in doing that is that, yeah, cemeteries used to be segregated just like schools were. Sure where they didn't allow black people in their cemeteries. And probably the best story about that is Hattie McDaniel. Oh yeah. So Hattie McDaniel was uh, Mammy in Gone with the Wind. She's in Forest Lawn, not Forest Lawn, she's in Hollywood Forever now. She is not in Hollywood Forever. They have a monument for her there. They have a monument for okay. her because when Hattie McDaniel died, Hollywood Forever was still practicing segregation and they did oh, not shit. allow black people to be buried in their cemetery. And so she's actually buried at Angeles Rosedale in Los Angeles. Um, because that was like the black cemetery at the time. 
And when Hollywood Forever came under new ownership and obviously the segregation was lifted and no one practiced that anymore, the new owner of Hollywood Forever tried to right that wrong and say, hey, we'll pay for the disinterment to move her to where she really wanted to be. And when he reached out to the family, the family was just like, you know, we don't, we don't want to disturb her, leave her where she is. Yeah. And that's why there's that monument to her at Hollywood Forever. It's basically Hollywood Forever trying to right the wrong that the previous owners had made. That's nice. Yeah. I love that cemetery. I actually tried to go there weekend before last, but they weren't allowing you in unless you were a, uh, a worker or you could tell people who you were there to visit and they were a family member. Yeah. And I was really, really bummed. And I was like, I was like wait a minute. What safer place could I possibly be mm-hmm. during this shit than amongst a bunch of buried dead people? Mm-hmm. And the guy responded, he's like, well, I'm not dead. The guy that was working the, the yeah, that's a pretty good exactly. answer. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, because there's people. All right, like fuck me. you, I'm out. All right, fine, whatever. There's but. people like me. Um, in fact, when all of this COVID nineteen started popping off, uh, Rose Hills Memorial Park, which is the biggest memorial park in North America, they closed their doors. They said no more visitors. We're not allowing funerals anymore. They made big announcements and they said, look, if you have someone buried here, like. This is the day we're locking the gates. Come and pick up your decorations on the grave or decorate the grave or do what you want to do, but this is your cutoff. And for the most part, people were understanding. Yeah. Um, but you know, you get those families that are just like, how am I gonna get anyone sick? And it's like, well, there's living people that are working there. You know, there's yeah. people like me that are working there that they're trying to keep safe. And so I'm appreciative of the people that aren't being assholes and you know, putting my life in jeopardy. But for the people that are being assholes, like this is not something that we're doing maliciously. This is something that we're doing to try to protect everybody because um, you know, there was supposed to be a big Chinese celebration recently. Yeah, uh, I think New it's Year. called like Qingming, Chinese. Well, I'm, not, I'm not Asian, so I don't understand. Uh, but I <laughs> just, I mean, people can't see me, and what if people have never come? <laughs> but true. I, it's but true, they, don't they, know. they were, Rose Hills was going to have one of those celebrations, and they had to cancel it. So, I mean, that's just another instance. Is a lot of, luckily, memorial parks and cemeteries have gone the way of trying to bring more people in to kind of congregate with the dead. I mean, that was the original Victorian purpose of a cemetery. I love the old photographs. I, I have oh, so yeah. many from my collection that the people used to just hang out. Oh, yeah. that I mean, photo shoots were very common in cemeteries. I mean, Victorian mourning is oh, God, just it's incredible. It's incredible. It's elaborate. I mean, it kind of was the precursor to a lot of the practices that we still utilized today and I always tell people you know death is everywhere there's a lot of myths and 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 bullshit about that too there's a lot of myths yeah um there's a lot of myths and bullshit but there are things that we still do today that people just going about their ordinary lives would never know that it once upon a time originated because of death care yeah um so which death care is 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 my favorite dark emo band Do I need to bust out my my list of band names? Because with this whole being stuck inside with my boyfriend and getting high with him every night, I've been coming up with a great list. I I think think Death Care is pretty great. Death Care was really good, but then when, like, Johnny Death Care left the band, they kind of sold out a little bit. Right? (laughs) Johnny Death Care. Back on topic. Yeah, so here's here's where I'm headed now because we, we you you touched on it by, by well, naming them the way you did. What's the difference between 
a cemetery and a memorial park. Okay, so this is pretty interesting. This is something that a lot of people don't know, but there actually is a difference. I didn't know. So if you go someplace and it has upright headstones, that's a cemetery. If you go to a park that has just nothing but flush to the ground headstones, that is a memorial park. So fuck memorial parks. Got fuck it. memorial parks. And it actually was, I call it the F word. Uh, most people refer to it as Forest Lawn. Forest Lawn is one of the big corporate funeral homes in Southern California. It just dominates. Um, but their creator, Hubert Eaton, was actually the kind Why of creator. people always have the weirdest names? He, Hubert <laughs> Eaton. Uh, he actually kind of created the concept of memorial parks. So if you go to most forest lawn locations, they don't have upright headstones. The only forest lawn location that actually has upright headstones is the Glendale location because right. that was the original location. And there is a small portion down by the Great Mausoleum that has all upright headstones. And that was pre-Huber Eaton. So when Huber Eaton became involved, he had this image of making cemeteries more hospitable. So Hubert Eaton, his idea was he wanted to make cemeteries less depressing. He wanted them to be places where you could go and just have a picnic and hang out with your family. He wanted them to be just like parks. But tombstones, upright tombstones got in the fucking way of that? Exactly. And Dumb. so that's why he, he wanted it to basically be something that you could look at and not even know that it's inhabiting, inhabited by a bunch of dead people. I hate him. Exactly. And that's kind of, I mean, Forest Lawn in Southern California was one of the big precursors to how we sanitize death. Um, I mean, I think there's statues, they're like recreations of like Michelangelo sculptures is pretty cool. But other than that, they're boring. Yeah. They're boring. And what's ironic to me is Hubert Eaton wanted Forest Lawn to be a place where people could come and hang out and just experience life. But if you ever try to go to a forest lawn to like grave hunt, to like look for people's yeah, they're graves, not receptive. they are not receptive. Yeah, if been, they know yeah. that you're there to just kind of hang out, oh, they'll kick you out. Yep. They will follow you around. They will ban you. Um, I've been to forest lawns just to find people's graves that aren't my relatives, but had an interesting story for my former Instagram. And they would follow me. Yeah. They would follow me, and I would have to pretend to be crying on someone's grave to get them to go away. That's one of the things I really love about um, Hollywood Forever is, like, of all the cemeteries mm -hmm. that maybe they should be weird about, mm -hmm. or like the Westwood Mall one, um, where uh, Marilyn is, and... and uh, Pierce Brothers Westwood, yeah. Yeah, um, like, like, of all the... Like, those are some of the most open cemeteries in Los Angeles mm -hmm. County, but... They have the, like, the most famous people there. Oh, yeah. Pierce Brothers Westwood. I mean, first off... I love that little tiny cemetery. It's I just so have to say small. that before I ever went there, I was reading reviews on how to get there. And people it's were talking so hard to... to find. Exactly. And that's what it's people an were alley. saying. And, and my first thought was like, these people are idiots. How can you not find a cemetery? And then I went there. And the only reason it was easy for me to find is because I recognized the dignity symbol of that green tree flowering. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. That's a SCI or a Service Corporation International. They're a big conglomerate that's kind of destroying the funeral industry. But I'll save, my, I'll save my opinions about them to myself. Uh, but I recognized that tree, and I was like, wait, it's here? And you drive in, and it's just surrounded by these skyscrapers. And it's, yep. this, it's so little, but it's so densely packed 
with just the most famous people. And there's a lot of unmarked graves there that are very famous. Yeah, Roy Orbison, Frank Zappa, both yeah. of them are buried there and their graves aren't marked. Yeah. Um, Dean yeah. Martin's really hard to find. Like you'd think you'd have a big memorial there, yeah. but like it's just I mean, a little plaque on a wall. Yeah, I mean, Farrah Fawcett, Natalie Wood. You now, got... to be fair, Farrah Fawcett has a pretty big... She does, <laughs> yeah. I would say the one that was actually pretty difficult to find for me was uh, Betty Page. Oh, I, I had a Betty hard time Page finding her, too. pretty hard to find. Yeah, but I, I did find her eventually. Um, yeah, but it took me a while. Yeah. Mm, I was really shocked. My kid was riding his bike around the, the, the thing the whole time while I was hunting for her, so it was good. So, all right, so Memorial Park and Cemetery, yeah. got it. Now, what makes what you do rewarding to you emotionally? Well, for the most part, I refer to myself as the Wizard of Oz of the Mortuary. Behind I am, the curtain. I am behind the curtain. Most people don't even know I exist. When I tell people what I do, they think that my job only entails putting makeup and curling old ladies' hair. Uh, but there's so much more that goes into it. And I would say the rewarding thing is like when someone actually acknowledges what I did for them. I mean, so give me an example. Um, I, well, I recently met with a, a family. Um, the man's wife was dying and he was searching. So he was shopping around prior to her death to figure out where he wanted to go. And he came in and him and his daughter sat down with me and I talked to them and I gave them a quote for what our prices would be, and then they left, and he came back later in the day, and he goes, okay, we're going with you. Was that a very pragmatic conversation, or was it really emotionally charged? Oh, it was very pragmatic. That's, I, I figured that, yeah. but I, that seems oh, yeah. counterintuitive. I mean, but I would also say this was an individual, like this was a man of science. This was an individual that had a doctorate in astrophysics and has written several books, okay. um, but he, one of the reasons that he told me that he chose me is that I didn't talk down to him and I didn't try to sanitize it by using these buzzwords that you'll occasionally hear funeral directors use like loved one and they passed on or my least favorite, which you find a lot in hospitals, expired like a dead body is a fucking gallon of milk. And he, he told me that he liked that I used the word death. And that one of the issues he had with a lot of places that he went is that people that worked in the death care industry were so uncomfortable with just saying the word death, like it would freak them out. So just working with somebody that gets it. And he gets, got and it. gets what you were doing. I, I mean, there's a little bit more to it on top of that. He, um, he, uh, he just had this conversation with me about how he really appreciated that I took the time to do what I did to sit down like even if it didn't mean that I was guaranteed the you know sale right um and basically getting that trust was very important but on top of that he invited me into his home um so he was elderly he couldn't drive anymore so he was dependent on his his daughter to drive him everywhere and so when his wife was cremated and it was time to release the cremated remains to him and I called him he was like well you know I don't have my daughter around today and I was like you know what you live down the street. I'm just going to drive it to your house. Is that cool? And he goes, okay, great. So you know, I did everything for him in-house. I did all of the funeral, actual funeral arrangements at his house. Um, and just being brought into the man's house. And he took me on a tour. And then at the ending of it, he actually gave me one of his books. 
And then after that, he wrote a three-page letter to my boss to just express how great I was that he really appreciated everything that I did for him and that I was willing to take those extra steps to come to him to make him more comfortable and make the process easier on him. And it's when you get people like that that realize that funeral directors and people in death care like sacrifice so much. I mean, we death doesn't conform to a nine to five. We're a job where most funeral directors are on call 24 seven. If you're calling someone, if you're calling a funeral home at three o'clock in the morning, you're getting a real person. You're not getting an answering machine. You're not getting yeah. pushed off. You're getting a real person. There are people always working. I, I mean, there are some facilities where they have embalmers that work around the clock 24 seven, where if you drive by that mortuary, there's an embalmer in that mortuary getting people ready. No and so when you meet time. people that like don't, aren't creeped out by you and don't take this stereotypical approach thinking that you're just in it for the money and you're trying to screw them over it and you're you're seen as a human being that just cares about people and like it's, it's the best the, part of the job i can imagine that the feeling of opportunism or opportunistic uh i i would imagine a lot of people probably oh yeah are, I, are mixing up their emotions and projecting and doing all kinds of fucked up shit to oh, yeah. make you feel weird about what you're doing I would probably say the worst so early on in my career um, before I was even licensed as an embalmer I was still a student I was working for a mortuary and I started uh, conducting veterans funerals so they put me on all the veterans funerals and we got this one family that was just hostile from the start they didn't want to hear anything from you they didn't want to know anything about you just even the most common pleasantries, like trying to introduce yourself, would be met with just hostile behavior. And it's people like that that kind of, you know, I mean, I pity them. I pity them that they think that, like, we're monsters in that sense, that, right. like, we're trying to take advantage of them and they've got to put up these huge walls. It's like, what an awful life that must live to just be so terrified of death and what I represent that that's how you treat another person that's just trying to be kind to you. There's a pretty fair amount of media that feeds that. Though. Oh yeah, definitely. And that's why, I mean, I think the best thing about the whole natural burial and green funeral movement that's happening is getting people back involved with death. Like funeral directors being depicted as villains is kind of a cliche. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, Granted, this isn't to say that those rotten apples don't exist. Of course, in the industry. Uh, they do. You know, I, I mean, our local cemetery is known for one that embezzled, what, millions, billions uh, of dollars from the endowment care fund and ended up going to prison for it. One of my favorite cemeteries is in my backyard in Sunnyside. And yeah, oh, yeah. it's got a long history of yeah, corruption great. and bad shit, but it's in good hands now. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, okay, so we talked about the most rewarding. Yeah. We talked about the most rewarding day, um, and it, it was a very interpersonal thing. It was, oh, yeah. It was, it was human. It was, it was a humanity I mean, moment, even human moment. Like, I, I, another instance that I, just pops into my head is I remember we had this lady who was just in really bad shape, and I remember doing this reconstruction, and, you know, the individual was in their casket, and... For me, I mean, I spend so much time staring at these bodies, and I'm sure as an artist, like, you can probably understand this, where you stare at it for so long that just, it starts to bother you. Like, everything looks wrong, it doesn't look good enough, it doesn't look right, 
and you just kind of have to step away from it for a while or you have to have another new set of eyes come look at it for you to really appreciate what you did right and so it was one of these cases and i just i felt like she looked awful i felt like i could have done better like she didn't look natural enough and i put her in her casket and i pushed her up to the front of the chapel and the daughter came in and she goes to the double doors to start entering the chapel and she goes i can't go in there alone can you come with me and i go sure so she like interlocks arms with me and kind of starts i have to walk her down the aisle like i'm her father giving her away at a wedding and she gets halfway down the aisle is able to see her mother and she just falls to her knees crying and at that point i'm standing there like okay is that a good thing or a bad thing did i do good or did i do bad and she gets up and proceeds to run to the casket and just goes my mother looks so good and so it's things like that where people really appreciate what you've done for them but moving on that's, from that that's that's really, that's really beautiful. beautiful yeah it is that's a beautiful that's a beautiful like moment. there's no way you walk away from that feeling anything other oh yeah than appreciated and it, it's funny because like every time you get to a point as an embalmer in the industry where you're just like fuck it like everybody thinks i'm a crook no one understands no one wants to listen to me no one wants to relate to me everybody thinks i'm a weirdo and it's making me question my own life decisions like maybe i really am a weirdo maybe this is something i should walk away from something like that will happen and you'll be like okay i, I made the right decision on that note, let's switch gears. Okay. Now let's talk about the worst. Well, I will say there's actually an in interesting phenomenon where whenever you get someone that's like pristine, they embalm beautifully, they have beautiful color, you don't have to use any makeup on them. Those are the families that will show up and be like, they look like shit. And they'll just complain all the way up through the management chain to try to get you fired. It's the families that have the shittiest looking bodies that just come in the most decrepit forms that will come in and be like, oh wow, they look great. And when you put them out on the floor initially, you're just like, they look like shit. There's a way that that makes sense yeah. though. Because if, if there's nothing wrong with them, they really do expect them to look identical mm -hmm. to when they die. Oh yeah. But if they really fucked up, then like anything yeah. that resembles what they looked like mm -hmm. in life, like they are fucking thankful as hell. And you get both type of families too. Like you get the type of families that come in and think that they can leave their loved one unembalmed for a year in your cooler and then decide after that year to come back and have full traditional services and that their, their relative is gonna look like they did on the day that they died. And then you have the families that think that they died two hours ago and they're already like slopping off their skin and bloated and green. Right. Um, so you get both of those extremes. And I will say as, as far as, you know, difficult cases and challenges, as far as restoration. Don't say cases, you can't say cases. <laughs> okay, JK. Um, <laughs> I don't think that's ever been a problem for me. There's never been a time where I've dealt with a case where I'm just like, screw this and walked away. Well, I wouldn't expect you to. You're very yeah. professional. Yeah. But like the one that was the most yeah. challenging, the, the one that really pushed your limits. Um, like like we're, we're, we're looking for that. Uh, well, I will say there, there and then I, there was nothing I could bizarre do. bizarre I mean, there was nothing I could do for really this individual. Hard. Yeah. Um, we didn't end up actually doing any reconstruction. Uh, I, I once uh, received the body, I'm using air quotes here, um, of someone who died in a mid-air plane collision 
so it wasn't a full body. Oh, it was just, you couldn't tell which way it was up, which way it was down. Um, that was someone that we don't even bother. It was beyond repair. I would have had to reconstruct everything from the forehead down to the pinky toe. So that was someone that went straight to cremation. Was um, that, is that easier? I mean, I, I realize that you have to protect yourself emotionally from connecting with uh, a body or, or deceased or mm -hmm. however you want to refer to them. But is it easier when they're so far gone that it's unrecognizable as a human? Yeah, I would definitely say so. Like, it's easier to just kind of dehumanize them and just yeah. look at them for what they are. I mean, we are heaping piles of meat. Like, that's sure. all we are. Yep. I mean, we like to think that we're above everything in the animal kingdom, but we're really not. You know, you get another animal in here that's much more bigger and powerful than us, and we're toast. Um, and, and, I mean, that's... That's kind of the fun thing about biology for me, you know, the, the humble aspect of it, the humbling that biology can have on the human. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty deep shit. Go COVID. <laughs> oh, uh, go COVID. Oh, so, was that the segue? So, so now, <laughs> in, the, in the circumstances we're in, like, you're, you're dealing with COVID. I, I am, and I just, okay. I just want to say this, um, and I think that my friend probably put it best in saying that the reason why people like me that work in death care, we refer to ourselves as the last responders right now, because there's a big debate on what's a first responder. Uh, I mean, my friend saw individuals arguing in a comment section on Instagram about how grocery workers should be considered first responders. Essentially, yes. It's just a buzzword right exactly. now. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it's not that they're not essential because they absolutely are, but are they first responders? No, no. Let's, let's reserve exactly. that for the people that actually are. And my one friend, Melissa, made a comment. She said, of course, people don't want to stand on their balconies at 7 p.m. and applaud for us because when you applaud for a funeral director or an autopsy tech or, you know, a medical examiner, yep. it means that things didn't go as planned. Sure. You know, there's a hope that comes with applauding for a nurse or a doctor because there's this belief that they are going to make people well and bring them back and everything's going to be fine again. But that's not the reality of our healthcare system. I mean, hundreds of people every single day are dying in hospitals. Nurses and doctors are not gods. They, they're humans. They're fallible. Um, and so there's, there's been a big debate. Um, about you know essential workers and first responders but really no one recognizes a person like me you know they don't really see value in what i do but if there were no funeral directors if there were no deputy coroners if there were no medical examiners think of all of the bodies that would just be piling up in the streets right now and that was actually bring out your dead bring out your dead bring out your, i'm not dead yet and you know that actually unfortunately was a reality in italy right yeah. That was a, re a, a reality that happened, that happened like in Like I make jokes, but it's sad and it's gross. You know, people hate us until they need us. Yeah. They hate us until they need us. And so if you're someone out there listening, like, give it up for the fucking last responders because we are putting up with just as much shit as the nurses and the doctors and are right now. you are in a similar amount of danger, I would assume. Oh, absolutely. And, and this goes back to the idea that, you know, dead bodies can be dangerous. I mean, there is a popular mortician that tries to sell the idea that you can't catch anything from a dead body. Absolutely, you can. You know, diseases don't always die. Sounds like you're trashing somebody. Oh, I mean, 
Shot already knows, and know I'm not going to say the too. individual's name because <laughs> there are so many other people out in the world doing such a better job educating about death. Um, so I'm not going to even give that person the time of day. But yeah, absolutely. It's very dangerous to tell people you can't catch these things because you can. I, I mean, it, with the COVID cases, it's been said, I mean, first off, we don't know a lot. Like we're learning every single day by what the epidemiologists are doing, learning about this virus. Uh, learning about how long it can live on surfaces. Um, I saw one thing that came out that said that, you know, if you are moving a decedent, if you're in the process of conducting a removal and you're transferring them onto a gurney, oh, by all means, you're putting pressure on them and you could cause them to expel it through their mouth, through their nose. Uh, so one thing that we've been told to do in the process of conducting removals is to cover the face to actually put face masks on them. Um, I had to prepare a COVID case a couple weeks ago for cremation, and so I opened up the body bag to make sure the identification was correct, and the, the decedent had a face mask on. Um, so that's one aspect of, yeah, they can, they can breathe this out. You know, you could just right. lean on their chest and cause them to spew something out, and then that can- let's face it, bodies- expel. Bodies leak, bodies yeah. purge. All right, all right, so spin it back but, around. But, but, like, you know, you're dealing with these bodies, like, are you scared? Are you, like, like... I will say that... Like, are you, like, are I will you say that it, I will say that at first, um, I didn't really take this seriously. Uh, I think most... Like a lot of people. Like most Americans, yeah. you know, I remember being in my apartment, reading what was happening in Italy, and just thinking to myself, oh, but, like, that probably won't happen here. And then I saw this video that a bunch of Italians made basically being like, we were once at your point, and then two weeks later, here we are now where we're so overwhelmed. And I didn't think that it was gonna get to that point initially. And then I came into work one day and it, everything just kind of snowballed um, probably mid-March. I remember I was in my uh, biology class because I, I, one segue is I did decide to go back to school. I'm finishing my bachelor's degree in biological science right now with the intent of studying infectious diseases. And this was something that I was interested in way before COVID-19 happened. So I guess now forever, I'm gonna have to clarify that this wasn't an event that inspired me to do this. I was already in the process of doing it before COVID-19, but yeah. I was in my biology class and we're all sitting and getting ready to listen to the lecture and my professor proceeds to pull out her cell phone and she just has this intuition to look at her emails and right at that moment she received an email from the chancellor of the district saying we're shutting it down and she put up the projector and she said grab your shit and go and yeah. we were out of school for a few days they canceled classes for two to three days and um, then we transitioned to online rather quickly. And then that weekend when I went into work, they had implemented all of these social distancing policies and we were starting to get all of these messages from the CDC about how to approach this and how to handle these decedents. Um, at that point, to us, we didn't have, we weren't aware that we had anybody at that point in time. We could have very well. Sure. Um, yeah. But that was when it became a reality, and I kind of started to panic a little bit. Um, my, my main concern was I have a very limited time frame to make my hours to qualify for my health benefits, and that was my first question is, 
okay, well, if I'm supposed to come into work, only do my work for the day, the immediate work that needs to be done, and then I have to leave, I'm not gonna make enough hours during the week. Are they really gonna take my health benefits away from me while I'm on the front line but getting up close and personal with people that died from this. Obviously, that wasn't a problem because the bodies started flowing. Uh, yeah, so I think it took about another week or so for um, our first COVID, confirmed COVID death. And I was actually the only embalmer on staff that day when the arranger came to me and said, we have our first COVID person coming. Tell me what went through your head in that moment. You're, you're facing down a confirmed COVID death. I, I mean, it was okay, this is real. Um, and then I, I mean, my training kicked in where it's like, we treat every decedent like they're contagious. We always implement personal protective equipment, or at least you should be implementing personal protective and universal precautions whenever you come in contact with a decedent. But that was the reality that, okay, I really have to disinfect. I really have to wear everything. I mean. I posted a picture on my Instagram of wearing the bonnet and everything head to toe. Oh, before COVID-19, I didn't embalm like that. I wore the smock, I wore gloves. I would maybe wear a face shield if it was an autopsy and it was especially messy. Um, but masks, bonnets, shoe covers, I never really wore those things before COVID-19 because gloves and a smock were enough. So now we are a month and a half from the point where that happened, where you got your first COVID mm -hmm. body. How many have you handled? I mean, once again, it's, I'm uncertain of how many I've actually handled. In fact, I have to go into work tomorrow and I have two COVID-19 cases to embalm. So I will be dealing with two cases tomorrow. Um, we don't really have real numbers. Okay, let me ask you another question. Before okay. this started, what was the average body count in your cooler? Eh, I mean... You have a, what was the capacity of it first? I mean, capacity in our cooler is about 52 to 55 bodies. Okay, and so what was normal before this? Uh, normal, I, I mean, I do work for a massive mortuary uh, in Southern California. So our cooler was typically always relatively full. Um, I'd say probably about, there's always at least like 40 individuals in the cooler at any point in time. But there was space. There was always a shelf available that if in the middle of the night we received a death call, we could bring someone into our care. Now we are at a point where we cannot get people out fast enough. Um, there's been several weeks where families are calling us saying that someone died and we have to tell them, we don't have the space. Here's the other mortuaries in the area, try them. What are, what, what's their luck with that, you think? You know, I'm not sure. We don't call them back to ask, hey, like, were you able to, I mean, did it work out with that mortuary down the street? I was just thinking maybe you had uh, contacts or associates that maybe gave you feedback on how they're doing as well. You know, I could, I mean, I, I haven't personally reached out to anyone else at mortuaries around me, but maybe I should now. Um, but as far as the mortuary I work for is concerned, we've, we've had to start turning families away. We don't have enough space. Um, 
And I mean, how, how do you tell a person we can't help you, you know? That was something that is incredibly you, unique to the situation. Have because you had that conversation with somebody yourself? Fortunately, I have not had to have that conversation because I am a back behind the scenes person. Right. Um, we have a whole staff of individuals at our mortuary that are the faces of the mortuary that deal directly with the families. I'm sure that you've talked with them though. Uh, I, I mean, not, not, not the families, but the people that are dealing with the Oh, families. yeah. I mean, I've overheard. Like, how, how, does that, how, how are they feeling about that? I mean, I think... Has anybody vented to you is what I'm thinking? I, I mean, I think the biggest, the biggest issue is that you, you get families that think that we're doing this maliciously to them. Right. That we're just trying to skirt our responsibilities Again, during this time. Role, yeah. And I've listened to conversations that arrangers have had. I, granted, I don't hear what's coming in from the other side, but I know it's hostile based off of how the funeral director is responding. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is, this is a unique situation that I've never had to deal with before. So what I'm hearing from you is that um, this is a massive hoax and we should all inject cleanser. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's... <laughs> This country is going to hell. Well, I mean, thinking about hoax and, and everything. So today, um, because of the issues that we're having, where we're having to turn families away because we can't get decedents out and buried or cremated fast enough, um, I was working today to dis devise a plan to fix this problem. And I was discussing it with my boss, and he proceeds to bring out this stack of death certificates. And he goes, I've been saving a copy of every single death certificate, or a working copy of the death certificate, not the official certified. Right. But the working copy of the death certificate of every single individual that's come through this mortuary that had COVID-19 listed as a cause of death. And he brings out this probably like two inch thick packet of papers and just proceeds to start going through each one with me. And he goes, these are all the people. Some of them I didn't even know had COVID-19 because as an embalmer, we don't always know what someone died from. Oh, that's, that's, something that, that's something that sometimes comes later on and after we've already buried them. I would assume that you would or done know. the embalming, not buried them, but uh, you know, done you, the preparations. I think you should, you should know. You should absolutely know. Um, but I, I told my boss when I saw this, I was like, you know, I really wish that it was legal for me to release this sort of information out into the world because then maybe people wouldn't think that it was a hoax. So, Laura, I got to say, I learned so goddamn much. For, and I'm a cemetery, mortuary nerd. I love this shit. And we just inserted the tip. You know, just 20% of oh that mortuary God. dick. We'll we didn't, we didn't go full I mean, DP. To be fair, that's all I have. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway... Uh, thank you for being on and, and for, you know, discussing this with us and, and sharing your livelihood mm -hmm. uh, with us and your knowledge. Um, you've been a friend for a long time. and, and One of know, our oldest friends. Wow. We, we, I mean, yeah, it's actually been years. We, we, four. We, four we, you years. like me? We love and like appreciates me? you. He I does. always thought I was annoying. I always thought I you mean, just... Well. nobody said you weren't. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks for being on. And... and, and I think a lot of people are really going to be engaged by what you had to say today mm -hmm. because there's there's so much unknown mm -hmm. about this industry, about your industry, about what you do, and about the mm -hmm. culture behind it. Um, like I said, I, I'm a nerd for this shit, and I learned from you today. So oh, yeah. I mean, even people that I've met out on the street that initially have 
this apprehension to want to dig a little bit deeper or get to know me. You know, there's this head shaking, wide eyed, stepping back motion that they do initially, but then they kind of start to gravitate and then the floodgates open and they have all these questions. I mean, fear is really just a lack of education. There can't be a moment where somebody has been like, oh, what do you do? And you tell them and they're like, yeah, whatever. Like, they don't give a shit. Like, yeah. they, they have to give a shit because it's interesting. Mm -hmm. Like, they, they're at least curious or, or off-put mm -hmm. or scared or there's a, there's a visceral reaction mm -hmm. to what you do for a living. There's mm -hmm. no way nobody people just blow it off. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. got to be rewarding in and of itself. True. Yeah. Yeah. I what? blew it off. <laughs> you blew it off. But I mean, you, to be fair, shot so, blows a lot of things. I was gonna say you're so cool. Like. <laughs> yeah, I'm really cool. You don't Fuck care yogurt. about anything. <laughs> Thanks for being on Art Pit. Thank you for you, being Laura. here. We love you, Laura. Last responders matter. Last, Last responders, responders matter. Give us, give us those sweet discounts. Bring us some pizza, Fourth Horseman.